Hi, I'm Don Hicks, and in 1988, I was baptized the first time. And in 1991, I got divorced, and I was mad, I, you know, at the circumstances. I was focused on the, the storm and not on the cross. I was angry, and I was bitter, and it just kind of consumed my life. And I, um, I didn't like the person I was becoming. I decided that I was going to uh, change the way I was treating people. Step back and I took a look at my life and I decided I, that wasn't the person I wanted to be. And I decided that um, I would like to get baptized again. Baptism to me would mean a, it's a new start. Um, it means that I could put that old life behind me and I can you know, start new. And that's the reason why I want to get baptized. baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we celebrate more than anything else around here, that Jesus is our life, he's our hope, he's our healing, he's our peace. He's our savior, he's our king, and we want the whole world to know this truth. In fact, it's so important that we want our kids to know as soon as possible. And so I want to show you something today that I, I, I think could be a part of that for you. Um, it's a box that gets mailed to you. I mean, what kid doesn't want to get a box in the mail, all right? And, and in this particular box, um, it contains things like, here's this little baggie that has, oh, pixie sticks in it. You know, pixie sticks got the little sugar, sugar. And it's got a verse that goes with it that goes like this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. If you can use candy to learn about the greatness of God, you want this box, right? I, I, I'm, I'm saying uh, there's, there's, we, got, we got stuff like uh, modeling clay in here. Um, there's a verse that goes along. We are the clay, you are the potter. Um, we are all the work of your hand. Uh, we got swords in here. We've got um, solar-powered lights in here. We've got, remember the, remember the verse um, that week that we talked about, there was a noise, a rattling sound. You guys remember Rattle Sunday? Well, they got one that week too. We, di we didn't even talk about the fact that we were going to both do the same thing, but on that week, um, you got mailed some stuff to be able to put together and learning the story about what God did with, with breathing life into those dry bones. Um, here's one. Um, listen to this verse. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. I heard that there were extra requests from parents that these be sent um, multiple times. He here's what this is. When COVID hit, and we all couldn't be together, 
Some people started getting creative and go, but how do we continue to feed the hearts of our kids? And one of the things that they came up with was they mail a box out every month, and in that box, they don't come in these bags. These are just for me today to be able to get that together. But there's, there was every week of that month has a different verse that your kids are learning along with some sort of object that helps that just sink in and help them to be able to put together the truth that, that God wants them to see. Uh, I'm saying that's pretty creative. That's pretty cool. Here's what I'm after. This week... Um, A lot of people are thinking about going back to school. Um, There's been a lot of effort and, right, almost blood, sweat, and tears put into what does this look like and how is it going to work and everybody's debating where do I send my kids and what's best for them. I don't mind telling you what I pray for. I pray that people will have a greater passion, that their kids would learn the truths of God that are eternal even more than they're passionate about an education that'll, yes, it's valuable. Yes, it's important. You're looking at a guy that went to school. I I think I went to school. I'm 52 years old, and I still think I can say that I was in school for half my life. I've done a lot of school. I think it's important. But if we believe what we say we believe... This it was, is what matters most in the lives of your children. And man, I pray that God would give us, I want to see people get as loud and as passionate and as opinionated over these things as they do in education in this world. I want to encourage you, if you're not already getting one of these boxes, hey, just let us know. You could give us a call, let us know today, stop by the info desk out there and just say, hey, we, we want to, they'll send you the box. It'll have the lessons in it. There's stuff for parents to know how to help. And then there's a connection that Don and Andrea make each week um, with those kids to be able to help them learn. I, I like this. How cool is it that you can learn something about God from a box? Actually, That's been the case for a long, long time. And I want to show you today what I mean. When we think about people in the Bible, there is probably no name that would be more popular than David, King David. I mean, if if I said to you, you know, do you know any stories about David? Uh, The first story that a lot of people would throw out would probably be David and Goliath. Yeah, it's just sort of become a catchphrase for any big right, battle where it looks like one has the advantage over the other. Uh, or, or maybe you would know the story of how David the runt right, was chosen to be the next king. Or, or maybe it would be the really cool story when David's hiding in the cave and Saul's trying to kill him and David ends up cutting off the hem of, uh, of Saul's garment. That's just, that's just the coolest story. Or there's always Psalm 23. That ain't a bad one, right? The Lord is my shepherd. When we think of David, we think of all these stories, but I think most people have not heard of the story of what I would call the last scene of David's life. The issue is David is about to die. But under David's leadership as king, 
the nation has been more prosperous than ever before. Uh, Under David's leadership, the the nation is more unified than it's ever been before. Uh, Under David's leadership, most importantly, God has been with them. And as you might imagine, people are afraid of the change if David's no longer going to be king. And so David confronts their fear. Here's what it says. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles today. We're going to be in chapter 28 and chapter 29. We're going to go back and forth. But here's what I want you to see in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. It says, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great. David just simply starts by addressing what everybody's thinking. Everybody's thinking, David, as long as you've been in the lead here, God has been with us, but quite honestly, we're not sure this young kid has what it takes. Now, we can understand that. I mean, most every person has that someone in your life that you kind of lean into kind of like a rock. You know, maybe it was a, a parent, maybe it was a friend, some relative, whatever, but that person that just like you lean into them because they've just always been solid, you, you lean into them because they just have that way, you can trust them and they, they tend to make things right. So I'm saying, Even when it comes to us seeking God, there was that time in your life that you're trying to figure out this thing between you and God and why do you feel this gap between you and him and along comes someone, a a man, a woman, a friend, a, a leader, they are able to answer your question. Here's why you feel this gap between you and God. And they're able to, 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 to teach you some things about God that you didn't know. And it's almost like they, they sort of bridge the gap for you. And, and then all, you, you're able to, to sense the presence of God when they're around. And all that's great until that person moves away or passes away. And all of a sudden... What was the rock for you? You feel a bit of an anxiety because of what they've meant to you. That is what's happening in the life of Israel in our story. Now, God's design is that we grow more together. That's his design. The design is not that we grow better isolated. The design is that we grow better together. But... The issue we're dealing with here is when you get to the point of saying, this person is how God is working in my life, and if I lose this person, I don't know how God will work anymore, now we got a problem. And that is what David is dealing with. How does he address it? Let's keep reading. He says, the task is great because this palatial structure I'll explain it in just a second, is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Now, this whole story, 
First Chronicles 28 and 29, the whole passage is about the fact that when David is dead and gone, he wants to see the people build a temple for God. And we might ask the question, why does he want to do that? And most people would say, well, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, it's, who wouldn't want to build a monument and be remembered? It's sort of like the, the, the pharaohs did in building, right, pyramids. I mean, everybody looks at those structures and goes, that's what they did, right? David just wants to build a building so that they can slap a plaque on it. And, and it says, right, in memory of King David, oh, generous one. But we know that's not the case. We know it's not the case because last week we studied and we saw David wants to build the temple, but God said what? No. David, you want to build a house for me, but I'm actually going to be the one to build your house. You're not going to build this temple. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple. So David knows he's not going to build it. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, we skip back a chapter, and they, they kind of go together. That's why we're going back and forth. Here's what he says to the people. He gathers the leaders, and he says, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And I made plans to build it. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. David's dying wish, what he wants more than anything else, is for them to build a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. Here's what David's saying I am not your bridge to God. David's saying, You don't need me. And you don't even need a replacement for me. What you need more than anything else is you need the presence of God in your midst. So to fully grasp really what we're dealing with here, I want to give you a little bit of history of the ark, all right? It'll help us understand when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, it, it's, it, we think Ark, we often think boat, but it's a box. The Ark was a box. I, I jokingly said last week what a lot of people know about the Ark of the Covenant, right, was, was good old Indiana Jones, right, right, and, and the, the lost Ark. And I'm saying some of those pictures are not that bad in terms of helping us understand what, what the actual Ark would have looked like. It was actually a wooden box, but it's overlaid in gold, on top of this box is what's called the mercy seat. It's where the angelic beings, their, their wings come together, where the, the tips of their wings touch. It's called the mercy seat. And the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat sort of, sort of represented, if you will, the bridge between God and man at that time. The Ark of the Covenant sat in a place that was called the Holy of Holies, it was one section of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this tent that God instructed them how to put together that the people would come there to meet with God. 
And so inside that tent, one section of it, the Holy of Holies, that's where the Ark of the Covenant would sit. And they couldn't go in there. Only one guy, the high priest, was able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And on that day once a year, he would take with him the, 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 the blood of, a, of an animal that had been sacrificed and he would do what was called atonement for the sins of the people. He would take that blood and he would spread it on the mercy seat. It's kind of gross, right? When we see the Ark of the Covenant, it's always this beautiful gold box and everything's right shiny. But, but this is kind of a gross picture. He, he spreads the blood on that mercy seat. And when he does so, it is so that the holy, transcendent, life-changing presence of God could be seen. Because you see the problem that separated God and man? It's man's sin. That's the gap. But when the blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat, it represented that the gap could be bridged. And if the gap could be bridged, something to deal with our sin against God, then God's presence could be clearly seen. So, my whole point is, when you hear Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, it was a sign of the presence of God. In other words, when David says, I want there to be a place for the ark to rest, he's not after a monument. He's not after a plaque in his name. What he wants more than anything else is for the people to know, to recognize the presence of God among them. He knew that was better than any earthly king. They needed God's presence. And so... The ark was powerful. It's powerful. Like we read stories in the Old Testament that God's instruction was you don't touch it. He instructed them how to build some poles to be able to carry the ark. Why couldn't they touch the ark? Because it represented, this is God's presence and he is holy. And man is not. If they touched it, they would die. But the ark was also powerful in, in terms of victory. Um, some of you maybe have, have heard about the, the Battle of Jericho. It's one of those cool stories in the Old Testament where God knocks down some walls and when the walls of the city fall, everybody knows it's God who did it. The, the story is how they marched around the city, but don't forget the details tell us they march around the city with the ark of God. And the walls, right, or, or what was it? The walls came a-tumbling down, right? For those of you who know, the, the, you, you learned the song when you were in Bible school. Centuries later, that ark is sitting in the tabernacle. The priest at that time was named Eli. In those days, Israel had become corrupt from the top to the bottom, the people in the top in power were filled with prejudice and greed. Um, those at the bottom were filled with idolatry and immorality. Um, 
I know it's really hard for you to imagine a nation like that, isn't it? So they're at war against an enemy called the Philistines. And the particular battle is not going so well. And somebody says, hey, remember Jericho? Go get the ark. And so the story is they, they, they get the Ark of the Covenant, they bring it into the camp, all the cho- soldiers cheer because they know the story of Jericho. But when those Israelite soldiers meet the Philistines with the Ark, Israel gets slaughtered. 30,000 Israelite soldiers were killed. And the Philistines carry the Ark off and nothing happens to them. Their declaration is, see, this proves that our God is better than your God. But then the Philistines start parading the ark around from town to town, sort of like if you, if you win the championship and you're taking the trophy from city to city to, to demonstrate, hey, we look at this trophy that's been won. And in every city that the ark sits, it's wiped out by a plague. The Philistines eventually, this gets almost comical. They put the ark on a wagon, attach two cows to the front of it, no driver, and send it back to Israel and say, we're done. We're done. So here's what happens when you read the history. Over here, you touch it, you die. Over here, the Philistines touch it, they don't die. Over here, you take it to battle, you win. Over here, you take it to battle, you lose. And my point is, I think it's time for a well-thought-out, theologically-informed question. What's up with that? Because that doesn't really seem to make any sense until you realize, and it's what I want you to see today, you can't. Put God in a box. You can't put God in a box. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. God's presence is never tied to any object, any person, or any method. So that if you can control that object or control that person or control that method, then you've controlled God. Can I tell you something? You can't control him. He is sovereign God. He is all power. You cannot tame him. That means no person, no leader, no strategy, no methodology, nothing can automatically confer God's grace on you. In other words, you can't tie the presence of God automatically to a particular person or a process. I'm going to tell you that I spend much of my life watching people try to put God in a box. I spend much of my life watching people operate as though God is in a box. There's an old story of a move of God that happened more than 100 years ago. Now, that's actually almost 100 years ago. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was pastoring in Wales. 
And there were people in his church, a group of them who had become Jesus followers about 25 years earlier through what was called the Great Welsh Revival. You can look it up. You can read the story. It is an amazing story. It's one of those times in history where God's presence just invades a land, all right? It is one of those moments when huge numbers of people turn their hearts toward God. It is one of those those all-encompassing just changes a society. It's a great story, great story. But Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the declaration But 25 years later, these people in your church make it tough. Because this is what they did. Those converts from the great Welsh revival 25 years earlier would say, now pastor, you can't sing those kinds of songs. These are the kinds of songs you sing if you want God to work because these are the songs that we sang 25 years ago when God poured out his spirit. These are the songs that God used to get to our heart and rescue us. This is the songs that you sing. They would say, people people are preaching like this, but that's not the style in which you should preach if you want to see God work. And Dr. Martin Lloyd joins, he said, you understand what they did? They put God in a box. It's attempting to put God in the box that says you sing these songs, they are the bridge to God. You, you, you speak in this style, this is the bridge to God. And I'm telling you that Christians and churches often fall into this line of thinking all the time. The only way to do ministry is to focus on, and we fill in the blank. It's faster songs. No, it's slower songs. It's older songs. No, it's newer songs. It's longer times together. You got to be able to hang out. Longer meetings. No, it's shorter meetings together where where, where you're on point and on on task. No, it's social justice. No, it's more discipleship. No, it's it's more structure. No, it's less structure. It's it's more missional. It's more programs. It's more events. It's more small groups. It's organized churches and church buildings. No, it's organic churches meeting in homes and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And for much of my life, I have watched the church battle issue after issue after. I spent the whole first part of my ministry battling the thought that the better you dressed, the more points you apparently get with God. Seriously. That the better you dressed when you showed up for worship, that somehow that gave you an in with God. Seriously? But we fought that. We fought that. Uh, uh, The time in which people would meet, it was like, oh my goodness, you would think you literally are casting the ark out into the streets, right? You can't change it from 9.45 to 10. You can't do that, right? You, you, You can only take up an offering by passing baskets. And issue after issue after issue, here's what I've discovered 
Often we trust in how God has worked before and we assume that God will always work that exact way. Let me put it more personal. Most of us trust in what God used to get to us and therefore we assume that's how he will always get to everyone. One time, you take the box out and there's success. The next time, you take the box out and there's failure. And what's up with that? Here's what's up with that. You can't put God in a box. His presence is never tied to one method or one object or one person. And 10 years from now, God may not work in exactly the same methods that he worked 10 years ago. And if we think it has to be that way, we don't really believe what we say we believe about him. Recently, I heard some staggering statistics was from a missiologist, um, this person who studies mission and the church. And it's an interesting stat. If you were born before 1945, if you were born before 1945, there is a 60% chance that you're in church. See, some of y'all just looked at other people right then. That was not a good thing to do, right? When, when, that, when I said before 45, I saw some of y'all look at other people, right? Okay, y'all go work that out later. But if you were born before 1945, there's a 60% chance that you're in church. If you were born after 1985, there's less than a 10% chance that you're in church. And if you actually break it down, there's more of those categories. About every generation is about half. Then if you consider... Even the studies that have taken place this year, did you know that it appears that one in three practicing Christians have stopped attending church during COVID-19? Now listen to what I'm saying carefully. Practicing, so we're not talking about just people who write it on a list, but, but people who at one time practiced Christianity, we're gonna say, no longer attend. I don't mean they're online. I'm saying they're not in the buildings, they're not online, they're not anywhere. One of three. Now here's my point. We can all sit around and mope about all that if we want to. That's what some people do. Let's just mope around where the conditions are and where the stats are and what's taking place. But I believe there's a better approach. And that better approach is to return to a mindset that the presence of our God is more important than anything else we will ever pursue. And he is a God who is bigger than any box you build. Nothing could turn this around. Are you reading the story? Nothing could turn our nation around. Yes, he can. 
more personal. Some of you have people dear to you, people who are, who are, who are running, it seems, as fast as they can away from God. You're, you're watching people operate in selfishness. We're, we're dealing with a society where at times you just want to throw up your hands and go, what in the world is going on here? There is no hope. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And he's bigger than any box that it feels like is being built, right? And some of y'all are like, it feels like a coffin is being built, right? Well, I'm telling you, we're dealing with the one who's been there and he's back. He's bigger than any box we could build. There there was an article written earlier in this year um, talking about walking through this whole COVID thing and some people see it sort of like a blizzard, which just means it's a bad storm to weather and we just focus on relief until we can get back to normal. Some people view it as a winter, which that's, that's more than a storm, that's a season of time and so we gotta focus on recovery. But the possibility exists that this might be a little more like an ice age, right? More than a storm, more than a season, we realize that the landscape to some degree of our nation and of the way people think, it is changed. And the whole article was challenging leaders, think outside the box. This is an opportunity to think outside the box. And I'm going to say, look, if you're just operating from a secular perspective and you're trying to keep a business afloat, man, that, what, what a weight to try to go, look, how do you navigate all this? And how do, I, how do I make new steps and change the way? But look, when we are, when we are talking about the God who is bigger than any box that, that, that we where could ever construct and we're, we're walking through things that are difficult, this becomes a new opportunity opportunity to say, God, what matters to us more than anything else, it is your presence. And we want you to teach us to trust you that we would see like you see. And God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? The message is always the same, unchanging. What I mean by that is it's always the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. Third day, he arose. That's the good news. And it will always be that good news. That is the good news that changes people's lives. But the methods in which we operate in sharing that good news, it changes. It changes at Heart of Life, we have experienced a lot of seasons of blessing in different methods that God let us use. Um, for a period of time, upward basketball was something that God just used to bring hundreds and hundreds of kids into this room, and I wouldn't doubt hundreds of kids met Jesus out of it. But after about 10, 12 years of running upward basketball, There's a part of how society changed in terms of what was offered here and there. And that season closed. It changed. It changed. Now, we're still using basketball in some ways, but it's different than what Upward was because that season changed. Um, For a period of time, a season in the life of our church, we did something called Judgment House. 
that was just huge. We had hundreds and hundreds of people, and it was a drama. It was dramas that we used. Though, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God doesn't use dramas anymore. He still does. He's doing cool things all over the place. I'm just saying that for us, that season changed after a decade or so of doing that. I'm going to mess with you now because some of y'all, like many of you that grew up in church, you went to something called vacation Bible school. And what I have discovered is that when you start talking about messing with vacation Bible school, people start, they start pulling out their swords and stuff. Why? Because for a lot of people, that's how they met Jesus. Through that opportunity of the gospel being shared. I'm not saying the vacation Bible school is not valuable anymore. I'm saying, oh my goodness, it has changed so much in what it actually looks like and how we operate it and how we, and, and in some cases, maybe, just maybe, God wants to even do something more. But we have this way of camping out in the boxes that we build And instead of asking God, what do you want to do? Then we just go to the same old box. When you look at the great moves of God throughout history, and there's been a bunch and there's still a bunch happening today, there are two things that are consistent. The gospel and prayer. And everything else is different. The gospel, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, third day arose. And prayer, a people who are dependent and leaning into him. Other than that, the methods are different. The music is different. The preaching styles are different. It's all different. It's because there's no formula. There's no box. You can't get back into Narnia the same way twice. Sometimes God works through buildings. Sometimes he works through homes but he always works through Jesus. He always works through the power of his spirit, and he always works through people who are surrendering their lives to him, which is where David takes us next. In verse five, look at what he says. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Who's willing? Now, we didn't read the part of the story. Verses two through five tell you the part of the story that David empties his checking account. And when I say empties his checking account, we're talking gold, we're talking silver, we're talking precious stones, fully devoted it all to the building of the temple so that the presence of God could be among the people. It is estimated today that if you put a value on what David had then, the equivalent would be somewhere around $5 billion dollars. Now, here's what I find interesting. David doesn't do that and then stand up and go, who's going to match it? He doesn't. He does not say even who's going to give some of their money. He doesn't. He doesn't say who's going to give all that they have to God. He doesn't. What he says is who will give all that they are to God. Who's going to give all that they are to this God? Consecration. It's a weird word. We don't use it very often in our language. 
Consecration is more than about designation of funds. It's a devotion of your entire life to say, I'm living for God's purpose. All that I have, all that we are, all that we desire or aspire to, every penny, every ounce of energy, every fiber of our being, we're going to lay it at God's feet. And I'm going to say, God, whatever you want and wherever you want to go and whatever you say to do, I'm in. Let's go. That's consecration, and that was the condition for God's presence being active among his people. And it still is. Still is. For them, it was short-lived. And if we're honest, Sometimes we would say, sometimes I feel like it's short-lived in me too. I mean, honestly, how many weeks do I get to the end of the, did I really, did I really wholeheartedly, faithfully, joyfully give myself fully to all that God wanted to do in me? I wish I could say I did, but I fall short. And so the question is, what hope do I have? Which is where I want us to end. Verse 6. Of chapter 28. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom, everybody say forever. I'll establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So, okay, wait a minute. Solomon, Solomon's going to be next. He's going to build it, and his kingdom's going to be forever. Is that like just royal hyperbole? You know, it, it's sort of like, like, you know, oh, long live the king, but nobody really thinks the king's going to live forever, Right? But I'm saying, pay attention to who just spoke those words. God. And God is not playing some royal hyperbole here. Solomon, David's son, would be the man of peace who would build the temple. But I also believe, as is often the case when we read these Old Testament passages and God makes a statement about what he's going to do, there was another descendant of David who was coming. He would be a man of peace. And he would give us the ultimate temple. And his kingdom was going to be forever. In case you don't know who I'm talking about, his name is Jesus. One day he shows up in the temple precincts and there's a building there, there's a temple there, but, but, but no glory of God there. And it, this is what Jesus said. He said, tear this temple down and in three days, I'll what? I'll raise it up again. And we know he was referring to himself. He was referring to his own body. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, I am the temple I am your connection to God. I am the bridge over the gap that now exists between you and God. 
I, I want you to think about this. He was the only one who really ever loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength right? He got it perfect. He's the only one completely devoted, the only one completely consecrated. He's the only one whose life actually earned and invited the presence of God in. He got it perfect, no sin. But in the end, what does he experience on the cross? His cry is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. In other words, he alone who earned, actually earned the presence of God, he's the one who received the complete absence of God. And the question is, why was that? And the greatest news in the world is, I'm telling you, because he chose to. He chose to. He chose to take his hands off to say, God, this is your will, not mine. And he gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. He shed his perfect blood to pay the price for our sin. Blood that would be applied, the gap that existed between us and God. When Jesus' blood is shed, this doesn't just represent that the gap can be closed. This is the blood that actually closes the gap that we might find mercy, that we might find forgiveness, and that we might know the presence of God in our lives never to be taken from us again. He got the absence we deserve so that when we believe in him, we get the presence of God that he deserved and earned. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died, the veil in that temple that separated the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant would sit, it separated the Holy of Holies from everything else. The Bible tells us that that veil ripped not from the bottom to the top so that man could take credit, but the Bible says it ripped from the top to the bottom because only God gets credit. He's a God that can't be put in the box. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, God's glory, his presence now can live within us because Jesus, the high priest, the ultimate king, David's greater descendant, the man of peace, he himself becomes our temple. And he didn't build it at the cost of his wealth. He did it at the cost of his life. Nobody has ever loved you like that my question is simple so who who will give their life fully to such a love who will give their life fully to such a love let's pray for a minute. Will you bow with me? 
maybe, maybe you're listening today and the truth is you, you understand what I'm talking about when I describe feeling a gap between you and God. And maybe much of your life has been spent in trying to figure out how to do enough good things in order to bridge the gap. The greatest news I have for you today is that that gap can be bridged. But it's not something that you and I accomplish. It's Jesus. His death, his resurrection. He paid our price. And today, if you are willing to turn to him, a willingness to turn from yourself to Jesus to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I'm asking you forgive me and I give my life to you will you come to live in me lead me I want to encourage you if you've never done that before ask him I promise you it's not about magic words it's about your heart today I also want to pray for the for the kids of God today that maybe you've known him for a while but you find yourself operating often as though God is in a box come on (laughs) he's not there are situations right now that you can't see the solution there are situations right now that you can't figure out how to make this work and I'm saying it's time to trust it's time to do what you've, you've known all along. We just often need these kind of days to be reminded. God, I'm coming back to you in humility, and I'm declaring I need you for everything. God, give me wisdom. God, give me direction. God, give me faith. God, thank you for what you have spoken into our lives today. This is certainly much bigger than one talk one day. God, I think this is, this is something that you in this crazy season of our lives and of our country, there is something very beautiful, very powerful that you want to remind your kids, to reshape the heart of your kids, and to unleash your kids with a power, a power that even brings the dead to life. God, help us to hear and help us to follow just like Jesus. Your will, 